All right. We are now in a strange part of 2 Samuel. Up until, up until chapter 21, everything is playing out sort of, this is the life of Samuel, this is the life of Saul, this is the life of David. And then at the end of chapter 21, we get this kind of record. So-and-so did this, so-and-so did this, brought to you by so-and-so, funded by so-and-so, a member of so And you get like the ending credits. But it's not the end of 2 Samuel. We still got, what do we got? Chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 24. <laughs> so it, this is like the after the credits. And these things that fit, some people argue about where they fit. And they're kind of written after the fact and they're kind of added. And um, some commentators say, because they're not really sure where it fits in the whole time span of David's reign. I think I've talked about this before. These are also sort of like the highlight reel at the end. You know, um, if you go to a funeral, you're not going to, let's say you go to my funeral. You go to my funeral, you're not all going to show up and just start talking about Lodge. When Danny went to Lodge. And then now we're going to talk about when Danny went to Holy Spirit. Oh, but he went to Harrison. Did it, it. We can't talk about Harrison yet. We got to talk about McGarry Middle. You're not going to do it in this chronological order, right? You're going to sit around. You're going to blab out. Oh, this happened in this year. This happened. And it's just all out of order. That's what chapter 21, 22, a little bit of 23 and 24 are. These sort of out of order glory days. Oh, man, we forgot to tell him about the stuff. So we're going to cover two of these today that are completely unrelated. <laughs> and maybe the Holy Spirit will relate them in other ways. But the first one, you might have a little subheading in your Bible about the Gibeonites. David avenges the Gibeonites. Chapter 21, verse 1, there was a famine in the days of David. You already know when, while David was king. Somewhere in that, all those years. There's a famine in the land of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord. And the Lord said, wait, don't read that yet. The other thing about this is we don't even know at what point in these three years of famine David sought the Lord. Right? So as you read it, you might assume you have three years of famine and then David was like, I'm going to figure out what this is. Lord, what is happening? But we know from David's life that's not necessarily how he operated, right? He might have asked the Lord what is happening after the first year of famine. He might have asked the Lord what is happening three months in when they could start to see we are not going to have a good crop of food this year. And they didn't have, you know, cans stocked. The shelves at Schnooks were not stocked for the next five years. When the crop went bad, they, were, they knew, okay, we are going to have a different fall this year. 
Our lives are going to be very different in three months because it's not raining today. So again, we don't have a time, we don't have a good time frame of how this plays out. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, there is blood guilt on Saul and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not a people of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. Sounds like a really complicated story, doesn't it? Sounds like there must be a whole bunch to that that we aren't getting. Well, we don't get it here because we get it in Joshua 9. So if you flip back to Joshua 9, you will remember these people so quick. I know all the names get crazy and you feel like you got to have a bunch of notes and note cards and signs and everything else. So Joshua and the people, the Hebrews are entering the promised land. They have a scorched earth policy of kill everybody in the city, wipe out everything, kittens, puppies, the whole bit. And Sometimes people say, gosh, that is just so cruel. Why, why would God do such a thing? And you get a couple answers. One of them is because th- these cities were evil and they did very, very evil things. And there's a lot of times where God works. There's times that God works in real life and God works through the scripture where sometimes people are given a real blessing. And in the act of giving those people a blessing, other people are, are given some judgment. And it's kind of scary. So in this case, Joshua and God's chosen people are getting the blessing of the promised land. But the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the ites except for the Mennonites are getting judgment. Okay? So the people see these people are coming. They kill everybody. Let's run. And so they flee and they run. And it actually turns out that some, some archaeologists think that fewer people died because so many people just fled to other lands rather than if they would have moved on. I don't know. It's all terrible. God says it's terrible. God doesn't like it either um so it's not like good they got what they deserve it's it's not that at all so the gibeonites joshua chapter 9 verse 1 as soon as all the kings who were beyond the jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and along the coast of the great sea toward lebanon the hittites the amorites the canaanites the Perizzites, the hivites the jebusites heard of this they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So all of these armies see Joshua and these guys coming. And they're all going to fight. The other option, the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai. Jericho and Ai were both 
just parking lots at this point. They, they were laid waste. They didn't even keep the gold. They didn't keep the sheep. That's what, the first time they attacked AI, they lost because the guy was keeping stuff, right? They did a different thing. The inhabitants, and I'm, I won't read it all, I'll just tell you. They all got on really dirty clothes. They went to the Goodwill and they got a whole bunch of worn out clothes. They took all their week old bread and packed it up in their stuff. They got a bunch of wine skins that were all worn out and bursting with wine and old. And they loaded all those up and they show up to Joshua and they ride up and Joshua's like, okay, who are you? They're like, oh man, we've been traveling so far. We came from so far away and we heard about how powerful you are. So you get a little bit of pride, right? A little bit of, of flattery. Proverbs talks about a flattering tongue. Do not trust it. Oh man, we heard about you guys. We came so far. I mean, when we left, this was fresh bread when we left. These were brand new shoes when we started walking. And look at how, man, we must have come really far. Really, like, you're really famous. You're really well known so far away. So we just came to make peace. We want to make a treaty. And it specifically says um, that at first Joshua says, now wait a minute how do I know you're not from, from among these people? Because he knows that God told him to wipe out all of these people. Wipe out all the nearby people. He says, how do I know you're not one of these nearby people? And they said, well, I mean, look at how old our wineskins are. Look at how old our bread is. And it says that Joshua made a treaty with them and did not consult the Lord. And that one little line, whenever you, if you're reading through the Old Testament, and you're reading something and it says, and he didn't consult the Lord. Get out a post-it note. Get out a thing and write down, oh, the Gibeonites. Something happened and they didn't consult the Lord. When Saul's supposed to kill all the Amalekites, right? Oh, he did not. He did his own thing. He didn't consult the Lord. Something's going to come up with them again. And so... They make a vow with them. Oh man, you guys are from so far away. You know what? We'll probably never even make it to their land because we're just taking the promised land, right? God's given us the land to get and they're from, so, they're from the other end of the world. Let's make a treaty with them. We're just going to take, if we ever make it there, we'll already have a treaty with them too. So they do it. Three days later, so as they're traveling, they're not traveling fast, but they're not traveling that slow either. But it only took them three days. And the joke about that is your wine skins are not going to burst. You don't, wine skins don't burst after three days. Your bread, your bread might go bad, but not as bad as it was here. Your shoes aren't going to be as worn out in three days as they talk here. And so they're tricked. But they made a vow. They made a vow, they made a treaty, and they're going to keep it. And so the form of their treaty that they keep is that we're going to let you live, but from here on out, you are going to be uh, 
the cutters of wood and the bringers of water. And so you're going to be the lumberjacks and the water department for us. And so that's what happened. And so all the Gibeonites, they're going to look, they're going to look differently racially. So they'll be able to spot, you, you know, you'll be able to spot a Gibeonite from a mile away from a Jewish person. And as soon as you see it, you know what? We're going to let you live because you tricked us. We're going to hold to our covenant. But we're just going to employ all of you. We hate getting wood. We hate chopping wood. And we hate going to get water. <laughs> and so that's going to be your job. There is one cool, you know, Jesus, when he was in the, the court of the Gentiles and the guys were selling things and making money off of foreigners and all that business, he said, my father's house is a prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of robbers. That was, a, that was Jesus reiterating that God, Yahweh, wants to reach the whole world. He has got his chosen people through whom he's going to bring the Messiah. He's going to reach the whole world. And you get these little hints sometimes in the Old Testament of how God really does want everybody, no matter what their race, ethnicity, every tongue, tribe, nation, all that. He wants them in. Because later on when it describes them at the end of chapter 9, verse 27, Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the people and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he would choose. So, you know, we read about all the sacrifices and all the lambs and how the lambs have to get killed and sacrificed and all that. And they get, did you ever think, how are they keeping that fire burning all the time? Like they don't have a propane truck that comes by. They don't have a, you know, natural gas pipes. Somebody has to be constantly working six months to a year ahead on wood because the wood has to age so that it can burn. You know, all these complexities. You can't just chop down a tree and put it in your fireplace. It just burns different. The people that were that system of making sure there was water for cleansing water for purification that there's a fire going would end up being the Gibeonites. So that's kind of cool. It also shows that as Joshua is entering the promised land, people had a choice. All of these kings had a choice to fight against God's people, to fight against the Lord and, you know, take up their weapons. And, and there were other people who said, we're going to make a treaty of peace with them. We're going to make a deal with them. Later on, when Joshua says, why did you do this? The people say the truth. And the truth is, we heard all the stuff that God did, your God did in Egypt to Egypt. And we heard all the stuff that you and your God did to Ai and the tiny place, Jericho. And so they recognize the power of God and they're surrendering to it. Isn't that awesome? We have that option today, right? So Saul, later on, he gets so zealous for Israel. Israel, Israel, Israel. It says he did it out of zeal for Israel and Judah. At some point, 
he was like, these Gibeonites live among us and they aren't us. I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to wipe them out. Now, the other thing, probably at this point, they grew big enough that they didn't need people. They didn't need another group of people to get wood. They didn't need another group of people to get water because there was enough of them now at this point that they could do it themselves. So there's also that economic issue of it. Somehow Saul got so zealous for Jewish, the Jewish nation that this other race of people among them needed to get wiped out. We're going to clean, we're going to clean house. We're going to get these people out of here. And so he kills a whole bunch of them. Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, what, you know, David finds out about this. He says, what do I do for you? How can I make atonement that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? Isn't that wild? He's not, how can I make you happy? Because he realizes the Lord, the Lord is always, always, always on the side of the people that are getting injustice. God is all, you read through the Bible, the people that are getting oppressed, God is always on their side. This is why it's so perfect that Jesus would come, be born in Israel, not in King David's day when they're reigning and everything is beautiful and awesome, but when they would be oppressed by Rome. God is always the, the fatherless, the orphan, the widow, the, the alien. The alien is kind of a funny word. The people that aren't from her, here, that don't have any foundation, that don't have any stable, people that don't have anything to settle on. <laughs> um, immigrant is good. Refugee is good. God is on those people's sides everywhere they show up in the Bible. And so Saul goes to wipe him out. David says, how can I make atonement? How can I make up for this so that you guys will praise the God of Israel? The God of Israel made Saul king. Saul was the king and then he killed all of you, your people. And now God is mad, and, um, and I want to make this right. All right, so I, I do have another bluegrass story. So this guy is in, where was he? Was he in Pakistan? This guy was in Pakistan, and he was going to play bluegrass with this Pakistan guy. And they were going to make a video of them playing bluegrass together. And the guy in Pakistan, this is an American guy and a Pakistani guy. And the Pakistani guy, he said, before we record this video, can you come out in the hallway and I have to tell you something? He's like, okay. So they go out in the hallway and the guy says, uh, last week, my wife, my mother and my father and all my kids were at a volleyball tournament and your country dropped a bomb on it and killed half of them. 
and the guy's just frozen. And he didn't know what to say. And he said, I am so sorry. And the Pakistani guy said, that is all I needed to hear. Let's go record this album. Oh, wow. So I have no idea about the war and the conflict and drones and bombs and what, why in the world that happened. But that dude from Pakistan that was playing his instrument had hurt and harm and pain, right? And his family had been killed. And this guy that we talked to yesterday with the banjo represented all of America to him. And so as our representative, you guys, that guy looked at the other guy and he said, I am sorry. And that guy took it and he received it. Isn't that wild? <laughs> is the Bible relevant today? Oh, here it is. Although this is going to get dark real fast. <laughs> so David says, what can I do to atone for this? What can I do to help you praise the Lord? I mean, we have racial stuff happening. I've been on Indian reservations and I have talked to Native Americans that have had all kinds of injustices done to them. And this is such a good question of as a representative of a, a horrible batch of people that did horrible things, what can I do right now to help you worship Jesus? And you might not spell it out like that. Like that guy, all he said was, I am sorry. And that was what needed to happen, right? But this is a great question to ask. There's conflict here. I wasn't there when slavery happened, but it was horrible. What can I do? To help you worship Jesus. And so David says, what do you say that I shall do? Like I said, this is where it gets really dark. They did things differently back then. <laughs> the man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we would have no place in all the territory of Israel. Let seven of his sons be given to us so we can hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul the chosen of the Lord. Give us seven of his descendants so we can hang them. And so David says, okay. Like I said, they did things differently then. God does not change. The, his people change a whole lot. <laughs> the king, but, I love this line, but the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because the oath, the Lord, oath to the Lord that was between him, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. Way back 20 chapters ago, when David and Jonathan were friends, and he said, I will provide for all of your kids. We are bros. Um, our friendship is closer. You're, you're a closer friend to me than any of my wives. But she had like nine at this point, right? Um, I will take care of you. He still spares Mephibosheth. King took the two Then he goes through the list of where they found. They went around and they found another descendant of Saul here and another descendant of Saul there. They are not necessarily right in the line of power. So um, they haven't been hunted down and killed already. 
in all of the civil wars, but remember, we don't know where this is in the timeline of things. But they're like um, sons of his concubines and, and slave girls and all that, that business. And they are all killed. And it's terrible. And one of their moms goes and mourns for them and grieves for them and pr- protects their dead bodies from vultures and possums and stuff. And David hears about that. So you got levels of honor happening here, right? You have, we're going to honor this covenant. Joshua says, I could wipe you all out just like that. But I made a promise that I wouldn't, so we're going to make you carry sticks and water even into the temple. You'll even be a part of the, the holy stuff. Saul doesn't keep the covenant, doesn't keep honor. David wants to keep the honor. But not only is he going to keep the honor that Joshua made, I'm also going to keep the honor that I made to Jonathan about his son Mephibosheth. And I'm going to take care of Mephibosheth and all of Jonathan's line. These other people from Saul. And then we've got honor that they kill these guys and it was dishonorable It's a worse honor for them to be hanged. There is some some deep back in the culture, um, even even before Moses, about being connected to the ground when you die versus dying apart from the ground. And that comes out in Deuteronomy that there's a curse on anyone who dies when they're hanging from anything you know where this goes right we heard it from Absalom when Absalom died he was hanging in a tree and everybody would be like ooh Jesus on the cross Jesus hanging there on the cross is a, is a huge deep shame curse of a thing when he took our how bad is my, was my sin it was hanging on a tree uh, not connected with the earth, bad. So, Dave, so this mom honors her kids by protecting their bodies. David hears about that, and then he wants to honor that. He's like, man, these were real people. Like this, all of this mess really does affect real, actual people. And so then he honors her. So he's not dishonoring the Gibeonites by not keeping their thing, but he honors this mom by giving all of those dead sons and he goes and gets Saul's bones and he, gets every, and he gives them all proper burial and it's all settled and it rains. Isn't that wild? So the Lord is involved in the whole thing and the Lord, the Lord is like, look, there's some dishonorable stuff going on And if you mess this up, it's going to be a whole lot easier to be dishonorable and to mess up a whole lot of other things. So I'm going to to get your attention with the food, with famine in the land for three years, and then that's going to lead. And um, we don't know where that happened in the timeline, but we certainly know there's stuff that happened in David's life that he started showing more honor. 
he had the whole Bathsheba thing, but then later on he starts honoring. I mean, even when Absalom comes and Shimei is yelling at him, he gives a little honor to Shimei and he says, I don't know if maybe the Lord's telling him to do this. So let's not hurt him. Let's. It was really more of, so let's, whoa. So let's not curse. Whoa, watch out. Because <laughs> he's throwing dirt and rocks and cursing them the whole time. Don't hurt him. Whoa, yes, that was happening. All right, I deliberately am cutting this last part short. Because I, I just, I don't have anything for you. It's crazy, okay? There's a, this is another thing that happened. We don't know where it happened, but it happened in the events, and it's awesome. This is uh, chapter 21, verse 15. There was a war again between the Philistines and Israel, and David went down together with his servants, and they fought against the Philistines, and David grew weary. And Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants whose spear weighed 300 shekels of bronze, who was armed with a new sword, thought to kill David. I'm not going to stop. Keep going. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and attacked the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, you shall no longer go out with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. Okay, so you got all your notes going off. You got all your red flags. Abishai, he died like so. He's the son of Zeruiah that got the belt of the spear through his chest. Way er and Joab avenged him. That was a long, long time ago. And then there's this giant, Ishbi Benob, one of the descendants of the giants. So David and Goliath, it's an awesome thing that happened. It got David on the radar of King Saul. And, um, and all the army and everything, that was not the only giant in the land. There were other giants. And some people from this section, when it says that David went and got five stones, guess how many giants they name in this section? Five giants. <laughs> some people think that David was arming himself to kill all of them. So... Take, take your Sunday school lens, right? Because we always learn it, and it's David, and it's Goliath, and he's going up, and he's going to fight him, and I, you know, you got uh, Junior Asparagus, and you've got the VeggieTales, and you come at me with sword and spear, but I come at you with the armies of the living God. What if David, this kid, is marching up there like, I'm going to kill all five of you. Just bring all of your giants the God of Israel is with me, and if I have to kill all five of them, I will. <laughs> it just it makes the whole event a lot more boss. If you just think about the implications of David not just going against Goliath, but going against Ishbi Benob and uh, Sebekai, the Hushathite, and uh, what's his name? There's another Goliath the Gittite mentioned, which some people, there's a theory that Goliath was a title, not necessarily his name. So if you had a giant, the giant of Gath, 
and he dies, then you get another giant of Gath, and it continues, that kind of thing. And it goes through a list of how big these guys are and how big their weapons are. Their weapons are just massive, just laughable. Um, kind of like classic when you're working with a kid in the shop and you say, hey, go get me that sledgehammer. And the only one is the 18 pound sledgehammer and the kid weighs 25 pounds. And there's just nothing happening, right? That's, that's the, the size difference of these weapons. They go through this whole big list and the people are named who kill him. It wasn't just David that killed, killed him. You get all down to 22. These four were descended from the giants in Gath and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. That first half of the chapter, David wanted the God, God's honor. He wanted to protect honor. He, he had a mindset of honor in order to not cause a famine, but it also just to help people worship God. And then these horrible, horrible, wicked uh, there's a lot of theories that these, these giants, that there were demons involved in making them into giants, that they were descendants of some sort of demon people, um, that David fought against those too. And again, it was a different age, it was a different time, but it lists all of these weapons that they had and how mighty their weapons were. And all of that is to make you be like, Wow, they were powerful. Like I couldn't even lift the thing the dude is throwing as a spear. I couldn't even pick up, you know, to carry. And God beat them. God beat every one of them. They were all wiped out by God. So he is, he is powerful. He is mighty to do that. All right, we're going to have some more anecdotal, out-of-place tales at the end of David's life next week. And it is really, um, it's really good, and I still have no idea what we're going to talk about next. But I will let you know as soon as I do. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy and awesome, and we praise you that you put this thing in us by the power of your Holy Spirit that is love and honor, that is forgiveness and peace, that we would seek to do good. That uh, just like we sang in that song, that, that when temptation comes, that it, the, the little fire of temptation is quenched by your Holy Spirit winning us over from the inside out. I pray that you would do that this week, that you would bless us and guide us, show us how we can show honor, and increase our faith that we can see that you just wipe out every single thing that exalts itself against you. You always win. We love you. We thank you and we praise you, Jesus. Amen.